Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I am your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Jenna Alexopoulos from Super Duper PR. Uh, I've known Jenna for a number of years now, um, as she has worked in a number of different uh, PR roles for people that I know and people that I'm friends with and, uh, you know, has worked on things that I've been a part of to some extent and have friends that have been a part of things. And yeah, she is an all around legend. Um, and is running her own PR company and is someone who I thought would be really cool to have on to have a chat about that. Um, we've talked to other PR people in the past. Um, but I think her perspective on it's a little bit different from, um, those other people that we've spoken to before. Um, me and Jenna are the same age, which is also quite interesting. So we have a lot of similar, uh, stories in terms of music that we got into and the time that we got into it and how we got into it and stuff like that. Um, so it was pretty interesting having a similar conversation about those things. Um, yet again, managed to work Michael Jackson into a conversation. So, you know, huge tick for the podcast goal there. Um, and yeah, uh, it was really fun chat. I, it was good having someone who's got maybe some like different work under her belt now that started in music and has sort of started to roll that into different things. So it was cool to see how that progressed and happened for Jenna and, um, in her work. Um, but yeah, really fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, before I go into that, I just wanted to, and you know, spruik again, I exist playing in Canberra on the 11th of November at Transit Bar and at Crowbar in Brisbane on the 12th of November. Please come and see us have a riff. The last live riffing we'll do for the year and maybe for a little while while we write and try and be grown-ups. Um, I've got a new band called Mental Cavity. If you look that up on Facebook, you'll find it. We'll be doing stuff soon. If you like I Exist and you like... I don't know, the bands that I talk about, then you'll probably like that, I guess. Um, and my band Year of the Rat is playing Hardcore 2016 in Sydney. Google that. Hardcore's back, baby. Good one, Graz. Um, yeah, that's it. Go back and listen to the other episodes of the podcast. They're really sick. Everyone who comes on here is amazing and fun to talk to. So have a suss of them. Got some cool ones planned. Should be good. Anyway, for now, enjoy episode 58 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Jenna Alexopoulos. Very intriguing. Pronouncing Greek surnames. Thank you. Brutal. Jenna, thank you for doing my podcast. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. Um, okay, so I start all of them off by asking people how they got into music. Music as a hobby, as an interest, or as, as anything. As anything. Wow. How did it kick off for you? Okay. So I was, I feel like all throughout my childhood, I was just like, always ear to the radio. I was kind of like, would sit in front of stereos, taking yeah. songs to cassette and stuff. 
I actually told a story only two days ago about how my dad used to always get really angry at me because I remember nothing that he would ever tell me to do, but I would remember words to every single song. Yes. And like, I remember one time he was so angry and he was like yelling at me and he was like, <laughs> maybe if I sung you what you had to do, you'd remember. <laughs> and I was like, do it. I'll Start remember man, it. All. Yeah. Bring out the kit. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I kind of started like, I guess like as a pop kid, I feel like the biggest transition for me was like year f- up to year five. Hanson was like, huge. That was it for me. Yeah. I had a really close friend a few years above me when I was in like grade three. Mm-hmm. And one day she just stopped talking to me and I never knew why. And then like two months later, I found out it's because um, someone told her that I was spreading rumors that Isaac Hansen was her favorite. <laughs> and it was just like, did not go down no. well, which wasn't, I never did that. I would never do something like that. When, how old are you? I think we're roughly the same age. Uh, 28. Okay. Yeah. We're exactly yeah. the same age. Oh, cool. Sweet. Um, so I, well, I had a... Not the same thing, but my mine at that age was Michael Jackson, which was obviously mm. considerably older at that point. Yeah. But that was like what cut with me instantly of yeah. that pop music stuff. So I, I went think, like... I think similarly though, pop music... I mean, it's not surprising that with children, pop music is what rings through to you first. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I know for sure that was like... Uh, a similar thing like and my sister had the same thing with the Spice Girls and like just like straight obsessed yeah so I, I remember like really loving the Spice Girls and I, rem- I remember really loving Backstreet Boys yeah and then in grade six my favorite song was Korn's classic hit Freak on a Leash yep and then it all just kind of went that way after that so okay. I kind of was in like Korn and then Limp Bizkit and but then also Eminem and D12 and mm-hmm. then on Rage one night, I think I think it was on Rage. I discovered Good Charlotte, and then through them was like Rancid and No Effects and that whole right corner of punk. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of stayed there, yeah, for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, so by that point, so I guess like for me, getting into Corn and things like that, alt music. That was what like solidified for me that like, I, from even then I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like, this is the thing that I'm going to dive like head first into for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, like that was my obsession right off the bat. Yeah. Did that tick over like that for you or did that come later? Definitely. Um, I think as soon as I started listening to metal and punk and people that were just like angry about stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. That's when I kind of started going out and putting on shows. Like I started putting on shows when I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. And then I joined Freezer, which mm-hmm. is, um, I'm not sure if they still have it. I think they, they do, they do yeah. still here. I've been away for ages, but like they. <laughs> I've been going to youth centers recently. Yeah. <laughs> not in the last <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they would put on like all age drug, smoke, alcohol free events. And that was right when hardcore was massive. So we would mm-hmm. book, book shows with like. That was when Prom Queen were bigger than Parkway. Like, yeah, yeah, Parkway, sure. Prom Queen, 28 Days, Body Jar would play. We'd book all those bands. And just being in that environment, really, really, it was so amazing. And it was just, like, really yeah. made me go, like, this is what I want. Because mm-hmm. um, it kind of mixed everything that I liked. I liked the live music aspect. I liked the social aspect, the organization, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, And where were you yeah. doing that? Uh, in Camberwell. So okay. we're with the city of Burundara. Yeah. And we'd put on shows at... The Campbell Civic Center. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was kind of around the same time as like Stonecutters was on. Yep. That Cassie would do in Canterbury. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just kind of like lots of DIY stuff around there. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So was that, was like being a part of that, like, did you feel that was like really important for you or something? Because I think that's, that's what I found with a lot of people who haven't played music so much is that they needed to find a way to be in it, basically. Yeah. I was playing a bit of music at the time as well. Like I was playing guitar in a band mm-hmm. very casually, like a kind of a high school band. Um, yeah. And because like I kind of realized, I was like, I love playing shows, but I just don't get any personal satisfaction out of writing because mm-hmm. it's just not how I communicate myself best. So I think, yeah, with the shows and stuff, that was very much like, that's what it was for me. Like I needed to be involved in it somehow. And that's, that was the right thing for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And did that then sort of impact on how you went at school then? Because I know for me... Oh, wow. I know for me... And this isn't actually a question I don't think I've asked anyone before. But, like, I was thinking about it recently how when music became, like, the obsession really ticked over was when I kind of started, like, not caring about the other stuff in school. Mm. And so, like, in... At the end of school, I did, like, really well in music. Like for someone who was fucking around and playing death metal, I did like pretty well at like normal music stuff. Yeah. Which is surprising to me. But I think it was because if I did well, then I could stay there at lunchtime and play death metal and things like that, you know? But all the rest of my schooling took a hectic dive as soon as that happened to me. I don't really know. I feel like my memories of high school are quite warped. Yeah. My mum recently told me that I was, like, not a very good student and there were points in my high school years where they were like, I think you should probably look at taking your daughter somewhere else. Oh, really? Like, I don't remember being that... Like, I wasn't destructive. I think I was just distracting. Yeah. Because I was just, like, always all over the place. But I I don't remember... I never hated school. Like, I really loved science, really loved maths, Mm -hmm. loved learning languages. But I'm sure... In hindsight, it was, like, it's quite a... was a positive thing. But I'm sure at the time, I just wasn't doing my homework. Yeah. Because I, like, had better stuff to do yeah yeah well i think i think a big thing for me was like i was good at like english and history and things like that i hated history hated geography there you go Ugh. we're totally different people. yeah <laughs> um i i um i really liked that stuff and i think i was quite good at it and then but i just was like this does not have the same like importance at that mm. moment and that's where i think like i'm different from so like my sisters or some people who you know, other people that I'm friends with who did like really well in school and they went to uni and then really well at uni and whatever. Like for me, I couldn't get my brain off like the things about music that I needed to know about and like becoming like passionately obsessed with certain bands and doing things and just trying to play guitar and trying to play drums or whatever. And like, and then getting into that booking shows and playing shows and things like that. And then so like I'd be at school, but that was just, because I needed to go there during the day to then get to the nighttime where I could do the other stuff. Yeah. Um, But I've always wondered about people who were sort of focusing on the other elements of playing music. So like more like the organizational type stuff. Did you see like translation from your school stuff to that? Or did you learn that from being a part of the music? I just learned that from being a part of the music. Yeah. Because that was my... I didn't really play sport after mm-hmm. school. I would go to Freezer every Wednesday kind sure. of thing. So that was... That really laid all the groundwork. 
and the shows I'd put on outside of that, there were only a few times a year, but there was always, there was never any moment where I was like, I'm doing this so I can have money for the week. It was always like, yeah. cool, this show made this amount of dollars. That means I've got X amount of dollars for the next show. It was sure. always like a roll on effect. And looking back now, it was just, that was such a natural part of it. And it was never really about anything else other than just putting on those events. Mm-hmm for the people playing and for their friends and their fans and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But my transition from like after high school, like I went to uni for a bit and was just going to study music business. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that at Vic uni and I hated it and yeah. it was so dry and so boring. <coughs> and I was just like, I, st- I was only there for like a year, I think. Yeah. Well, see that. And that's another thing that it hasn't come up in a long time actually, but was a big, I, I found it was a big feature of, like the early podcast was talking to a lot of people who did those degrees and the opinion on them. So I started doing a similar one Mm. that I had nothing but negative things to say for other people have done them and, you know, have, you know, said it was fine and it was good or whatever. But I think the biggest part about that, and I don't know, you probably would have more knowledge on this than I do, but is like, for me going to do that felt like, it, it almost still does feel like you do that if you have absolutely no idea or you've got no passion or you have no drive, mm. but you want to be a part of it. Yeah. Whereas I found that all the stuff that I learnt, like invoicing, fucking doing, you know, I mean, rolling leads, like all this, <laughs> doing like basic sound engineering stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Booking shows, like all that stuff I learnt from doing it. Doing it. Yeah. Or from being with someone who knew how to do it and then they showed me how to do it. Not paying like a government or private organization thousands of dollars to teach me how to write an invoice. Yeah. Like... I've I've actually thought about that a lot. And my opinion of those kind of... Those like music business courses where you do get really general information about stuff and you get a basic understanding of how all the moving parts work together. Mm -hmm. But... Speaking for myself, I chose that because I'm like, this is something that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like I had to go to uni after high school. And I was like, I'm going to choose this course because I do already have that general interest in sure. what it is. Yeah. Um, my parents at the time were like, do something broad and then specialize. But I was like, no, I don't want to spend 10 years in uni. Mm-hmm. I'll just do this and get it over and done with. Um, at the moment, actually... I've been talking to my brother quite a lot because he's finishing his master's mm-hmm. in, I always get the course wrong. It's like business in like the sporting world. Okay. And he's so talented and he's so smart and so amazing at what he does. But his university has put zero emphasis on real life experience. Yeah. And it pisses me off because I'm like, you can't just roll out of a degree and like, I'm totally, I'm not against degrees. Like they're yeah, yeah. for certain things that can be really handy. Like if you want to move into a government arts role or something, like there are times where it can be beneficial to have it. Mm. So I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it, but it's like, if you do it, get in the real world and like make yeah. sure you're meeting people and just like volunteering where you can or doing a summer internship or something. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if I'm given two resumes, one has degree really amazing marks, no experience, and one has got experience, I'll always be leaning towards the experience mm. more because there's this stuff you don't learn at school. Yeah. Like, you don't well, learn I mean, about the changing dynamics of everything out of a book. 
Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's, I'd say it's the same with any degree that has a practical outcome. Mm-hmm. So like, even the, the degree I have, so a teaching degree. Yeah. I found through the entire time I was doing my teaching degree, which was <clears throat> as well, like it took me forever to finish it, but doing um, like teaching placements and things, you could always tell the people who were on teaching placements that didn't ever work, like who were just rich kids who live with their parents Like, because they don't have, like, social skills in a workplace. (laughs) Yeah. So, that's one thing. But then, two, people who... They always grow up to be, like, the strange science teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, two, people who don't... Who'd never worked with children. So, I started working with kids before I started doing teaching. Mm. So, by the time I was there, I was, like, more comfortable yelling in front of people, you know yelling in front of a group of kids than anything, you know? Yeah. And doing activities and doing this and doing that or whatever. And then, like, I'm sure playing in bands and stuff helped to no end because I already am, like, the trying cool trying yeah. to get attention <laughs> all the time. Yeah. But, um, like, you could tell immediately the people who just had, like, no real-life experience. And, I mean, I don't... I'm not a teacher, but I work in the education industry. And the biggest thing that I've... And now I'm in a position where, like, I hire people and do things like that Mm. now. And then the thing for me that I always look for is, like, if someone's got a diploma and whatever, but they can't, like, they cannot function in a conversation and they can't function in a room, they're not going to work. Yeah. But the person who's, like, whose education is maybe not there yet or they're working towards it or whatever but they're like crazy good in a room or whatever. They're the person you're going to pick always. Yeah. And I think Australia, at least at the moment, I think, and probably people in our age bracket and basically from like a little bit above us to probably like 10 years below us are in this problem point where they think that going to university means like four years, piece of paper, instant job. Oof. And, like, so many people must be, yeah. like, you know, and, like, I hate to pigeonhole it, but, like, there's a lot of people working in cafes. Yeah. Like, I'm certain most of them have degrees in something yeah. other, you know? Like, I know tons of people who have degrees that do not do anything related to what they studied. Yeah. And I think it's it's great if you want to study to study. Like, I've got friends that... And now so far deep into it that that's what they're going to do forever is study, which is fantastic. But yeah, like those practical things like, yeah, you know, nursing, teaching, like anything like that, or, you know, the vocational type stuff. Yeah. If you don't have your experience, you're just going to fall apart. Totally. And I think as well, like with those industries where you're caring and in charge of other people. Yeah. It's kind of more... Like, it's good to have the... Obviously, you need the degree stuff, so you can get yeah. all the theory and all the regulations and stuff down pat. <coughs> with, like, other, like, more kind of versatile... Not versatile, but, like, I guess... I, yeah. Yeah, They're no, no I get what you mean. Yeah. Like music and stuff, it's kind of... Well, I mean, I, I think the other thing for me that's always been weird about studying stuff with music is, like, if you're not, if you're not doing it to just be into the academic side of it, I never really can tell where the application of that goes. Mm. So like, I mean, I've got, you know, and I'm sure you do too, but like friends that own recording studios and stuff like how, and you know, you can ask all of them who went to TAFE or whatever to do sound engineering and they'll all tell you that they learnt everything from owning a studio. Yeah. Like what they learnt from being there was like, 
again, like how to plug in a lead, how to, you know, turn on the compressor or whatever. Yeah, I think it's very much, I feel like it's people that get to that point where they're owning recording studios and doing all that stuff. It's like they've just dived in and they're like mm. in the deep end. And they learn, when you're thrown in the deep end, you learn so quickly whether it's going to work out yeah. or not. Like you, because you've got no choice. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like, in my experience, is the best way to learn. And like, I think it's, yeah, just kind of more beneficial because you just put the pieces together so quickly. Yeah. So how did it go for you then after starting on that path of studying? Did you finish it? Did you mm, not finish it? No, I didn't finish it. I haven't, I've never fully completed any tertiary anything. Yeah, good. <laughs> I just finished my year 12. Yep, that's fine. I, well, I finished it and I got more than 50. Good. In fact, I got more than 60. So that was Did great. better than me. Yeah. Good one. Um, yeah, so I didn't finish my degree. I started uh, when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And when I was 19, I moved to Sydney. Yeah. Um, I started... Again, I tried, I was like, no, I should study something. I'm in a new city. I don't really know anyone. Um, what brought on the move? Um, multiple factors. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was like, oh, I'm dating a boy in Sydney. I'm going to move there. But then my dad had passed away the year before. So mm-hmm. in hindsight, it was very much like a, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. oh, cool, Sydney, let's go there. Um I don't, I definitely don't regret moving at all. Like there was like a lot of like family strains around the time, which were not good, but in the general path, in a very selfish way, like general path of my life, I don't think I'd be where I am now if I hadn't have moved to Sydney because it was in Sydney where I got my first music job. Okay. Um, so I started studying public relations, mm-hmm. didn't fully understand what it was at all. I wouldn't understand what PR was properly until like three years later, yep. two or three years later. Um, but yeah, I was doing that a couple of days a week and I'd intern at fashion PR agencies and work on Sydney fashion week and stuff. And I didn't have any proper interest in fashion, Okay. but I met, like I've met friends doing that, that I still, I'm really good friends with now and still get to work with now, which is awesome. And then, um, yeah, I was doing that for like a year and then met Beck Riado, who yep. is at Death Proof mm-hmm. and an amazing publicist. And she needed a assistant. She needed like someone in two days a week and she literally put up a status on her Facebook one day being, and she just wrote like, I need an assistant, no anyone young and keen. And I just messaged her. I was like, pick me, pick me, pick me, <laughs> please pick me. Yep. Um, yeah. And I started working with her a couple of days a week and then met the extended shop crew and then eventually moved back to Melbourne, went full time down here. Yep. And then when the girls, when her and M Kelly left to start Death Proof, I kind of told my boss that I wanted to take their spot and he was just like, no, you're not ready. And I was, and then the the girls were actually going to America for two weeks or three weeks for South by, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was filling in for them while they were gone. And then I have this, like, I'm that brat when as soon as someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, I'm going to do do it it just to piss you off. Like just to prove you wrong. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. So they went away and I just like worked my ass off. And it was like a few days before they came back. He was like, you really want this, do it? And I was like, yes, I do. And he's just like, well, let's do it. I'm like, really? He's like, yep, let's do it. So then I got, when the girls left, then I got promoted to publicist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thus began, began a very stressful three years of my life. <laughs> two, oh, two years of my life. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so how, like, how did that change then from... 
like did working in fashion and doing that sort of PR type stuff, volunteering or interning mm. or whatever there, did that spark some, an, an, an interest in PR for you? Or was it just like, it just came naturally from that was what you were doing? The interest didn't start when I was interning with the fashion PR agency because I didn't really, I got taught how to like manage the showroom and do all that stuff, but there was no proper explanation about why we were doing stuff. <laughs> okay. There was no, okay, this is what we're doing because this affects that. And then we need, this is our end game. So these are the steps we take. There was none of that. It was very yeah. much like, Hey, uh, now I need you to do this. And now I need you to send that. And can you book this career? And can you help with this seating chart or whatever? Like, yeah. Just very individualized tasks, but no explanation about how they all fit. So I didn't really have an interest there. I just, I just didn't, I just didn't know what it was really. I didn't really understand the working with media and the way that I was kind of introduced to it when I was working with Beck, it was all, it all happened so slowly. That was basically when I started, I had my tasks each Monday and each Friday. And then as I got comfortable with those and as I'd nail those, I'd get more stuff introduced and then slowly would start piecing it together. And then at the very start as well, Beck would forward me emails being like, this will make no sense at the moment, but it will make sense to you one day. Being like, when all the pieces start dropping, it's like another piece of the jigsaw that comes together. And that was really helpful. But ultimately, it was something that I didn't even fully understand what it was until the girls had left. And it was just me doing it. Yeah. Because then I saw everything from start to finish. Mm. Because I think I think a thing for me is with with PR is that I like even I I mean I still don't understand all of it but I what I understand of it only came from like doing more and more stuff with a band yeah so like when it started rolling over more and more I was like oh this is like a lot to deal with when you're dealing with like you know for my band that's relatively minuscule in the grand scheme of things but I mean even it got to a point for me where I was like, this is too much for me to do. I don't know what this means. Yeah. I don't know how to do this thing. Yeah. I've run out of friends. Like <laughs> the ceiling on my, what I can get out of yeah. friendships has ended. Like, what do I do? What do I do now? Yeah. It's very much, a, it's, I really like it because the longer you, you're in it, the more, obviously the more you learn about it. And mm -hmm. I'm st I still learn stuff now. And it just constantly gets more and more complex because the more you know, the more you want to put into what you're doing. Mm. So while a few years ago it was very much a cool albums in and out in six weeks, let's get it done. Now it's like, I'll work with bands for months and months and months on end yeah. and like build profiles. And often it's like not about what you do, but it's a lot of it is what you say no to as well. And like making sure you're taking the right steps and also with big events as well, like working, making sure the strategy for that's all, doing what it's meant to because it's not as easy as like pressing send on a press release and hoping that people pick it up it's just not enough now like yeah so how what how did taking on that challenge obviously like from when uh beck and m left mm -hmm. how did that like what was the learning that immediate learning process like then was it like just smashed with work and needing to figure it out that was it that yeah. that was it it was basically like my emails went from 50 a day <laughs> to 200 a day and i would just like sit there like trying to get through everything and you just you just stay on top of it you have yeah. to stay on top of it i ended up i was in that role for two years and it was the people we worked with was so like the crew made that job mm -hmm. the work it was too much work and looking back now it's 
very much that has shown me what I don't want in my life. Okay. That level of stress and like not, I don't really remember much from those two years. Like I was never yeah. present with my friends. I was always at dinner, always on my phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Waking up six o'clock to monitor interviews or doing something that wasn't just like Jenna time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so that's helped in that aspect. Yeah. Which is good. And so like what, how did things then roll on there for you? Like was, where was the end point with that position for you then? I think it got to a stage, what are we now, 2016? Almost, it was almost four years ago now where everyone, oh, everyone was just so miserable. Mm-hmm. Everyone was so miserable. There had been like change of management, like top level management. And they kept taking our, like taking resources, but expecting the same amount of output. Sure. And by the end, I was, I turned into a very ugly person. Like I would get so angry about stuff that really didn't matter. Mm. And I'd make such a massive deal about it. And I was like, oh, I hate this. This is not who I am. I'm generally a very positive person and very like polite and kind. And I always try to like brighten people's day, but I was a monster. Yeah, right. I hated it. I hated it so much. I was like... (laughs) No good can come of that. And there's only so long you can stay in that environment for. Mm. So I was just, I just pulled the plug. Yeah. And so what did that look like for you bailing then? What what did you, leaving something like that? Yeah. What was your instant thought? Because I mean, I know for me, I've never really like, because I've been doing the same thing work-wise for so long, mm. spread over different places and different companies and whatever. But because I've never really had to like pull a pin and then forge something totally independently. Yeah. What was that like? Was that daunting? Was it scary? Um, at the time I didn't care. Yeah. I resigned, had my last day on the Friday and then Saturday I flew to America for five weeks and I didn't have a job. Yeah. I did a bit bit of freelancing um, with, I think it was Thy Is Murder I was freelancing with at the time. Just doing bits and pieces here and there just to keep me busy. But it was by no means like a, I need to do this now kind of mm. thing. I just really wanted to go over and not really worry about anything. Um, so I was like, yeah, in America for like five or six weeks, came home. I remember I came home on a Thursday. No, I came home on a Tuesday and then was just sitting at the dinner, ta- dinner table working away. And then Johanna called me, who was working at Big Day Out. No, she texted me. She's like, are you home? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, I'm going to call you tomorrow. I was like, okay. And then she called me and she's just like, I have a job for you in Sydney. And I was just like, what? And Big Day Out was very much for me, like one of those things. It's a job that I never even bothered dream of having because it would just never happen. Sure. And then I'd come home from this trip and two days later, I was like, well, it looks like I'm moving to Sydney. Yeah. Had like interviews and stuff and then ended up moving up there like two months later. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like, it was a slow, after I was, I was at Big Day Out for three months and then was made redundant when they were bought out by Soundwave. Yeah. And then it was after that, that I was like, I've had enough. I'm going independent. Yeah. So it's been like three years now. Yeah, that's sick. Since then. But was that, like, I mean, that push and getting it up to do it yourself, do you think that's come from having been made redundant and learning like shitty job play, like workplace lessons and things. Yeah. It was, it part was of it? definitely. Cause after it was the day that I had been made redundant and move like, sorry, not move. Um, word spread so fast that I was getting calls that same day being like, do you need a job? 
yeah, right. come and talk to me next week. And I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I had yeah. reached that point where I was like, I'm sick of proving myself to other people. Yeah. And I know I don't know everything and I would never ever stand there and be like, I know more than other people because that's bullshit. But I was at that point where I was like, I've had enough. Like, I've just had enough. I'm tired. I'm sick of just having to show people. I was like, I was working a lower role than what I had been in as well. So I was like, I'm just sitting here updating databases and helping with invoices and stuff. I'm like, use me. Like, yeah, yeah. You're not let using me, me. Let me. Yeah, yeah. I let get what me you live. Mean. Yeah, yeah. No, man. And I, I, that's that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. In anything. So it was very, it was very much a thing for me. It was born out of frustration, but yeah. Also, just throwing it in and being like, let's just see how it goes. Yeah. Because like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I'm very, <coughs> me and like a lot of my friends are like all very lucky to, you know, the our worst case scenario is moving home. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah while it's not anything to take advantage of, it's still like, if we, if you've got that and you have the chance to do something amazing, like yeah. try, like there's, you've like, you can't, there's not that much that you can lose. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an incredible, like, I also don't have a mortgage though. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, me <laughs> um, it's an incredible, like, you know, I, I think one thing that I've hopefully not like ever forgotten to pass across is that like, I am well aware that I come from like an incredible point of privilege, but I acknowledge that I do. And I hope to God that I'm passing it across that. Like I'm, you know, keeping it moving and paying it forward to some degree. Cause I mean, I think, and I think a big part of that for me is that I know that the privilege that I come from comes from, you know, the hard work that my parents put in because they came from both, you know, sides of my family at one point came from like, you know, pretty bad, you know, spots. And so they realized that they were like, fuck this. Yeah. This isn't going to be the way that it pans out for me. Yeah. So they bust their asses and they're, you know, where they are now. Yeah. So I think a, a lesson that I learned from that was that like, even if I didn't want to, or I just wanted to listen to corn forever or, you know, whatever that may be (laughs) at some point I needed to fucking sort my shit out and do something. Now, ideally for me, that would be just playing guitar for the rest of my life. Yeah. However, I know that what I like and what I'm capable of doing (laughs) and stuff is not financially viable. So the second, well, But, like, the second thing that I'm good at is, like, oh, that is something you can do. Yeah. So, go do that. And then do all this other thing while you can. But it's good that, like, it's good that you've got that balance, (coughs) though, where you do have the job that you really like that pays your bills. And then you still leave yourself time and mental space to be able to play heaps of guitar and do all that kind of stuff as well. Like, I think having that more than one part of your life... So like, so like multiple parts of your life so active is just like a really amazing thing. It's relatively tiring. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I was saying to my mom on the weekend, she was like, you know, sometimes you just got to like stop. And I was like, if I stopped doing this stuff, I would be so fucking depressed. Yeah. And like, totally wouldn't know what to do with Mm. myself. And it would make the work stuff suffer. No doubt. as well. Cause the only thing that gets me through, you know, I mean, I do like that stuff, but the only thing that really gets me through it is like that I know that 
it's paying like my salary is paying for me to blow all my money on getting drunk and playing <laughs> guitar basically you yes. know? like i wouldn't be able to do that without the salary so yeah but it's like i don't know i think it's really important to play like pay close mind to the elements of your life and what puts you in a good headspace yeah and really just owning it and like i'm very much the kind of person where if i sit at home all day i was actually talking to luke my partner about this recently just mm-hmm. like if i sit at home all day and i have that need to be outside i'll just be miserable like i'll be so just down and i'll get lazy and i'll just start sleeping all the time yeah so it's like i always have to take advantage when i feel good and just like go outside even if i walk around the block or something like when i moved home moved back to melbourne a few months ago and for the first month i was living and working in i'm living in blackburn like out in the burbs yeah and i was working from there as well and every day i'd wake up full of beans and i'd just sit at home all day yeah and by the end of it i was like i'm going crazy (laughs) i need to get out yeah someone help me please yeah so so what was it like then what was the initial like charge then like when you sort of went out on your own Mm. and started your own company and stuff was it like really invigorating for you or yeah scary oh it was so terrifying yeah it was so terrifying but also it was so invigorating that's such a good word like i felt i just felt alive i'll let you use it it was it was so awesome (coughs) i was living in a in darlinghurst in sydney at the time it was just coming into summer we had this massive double-fronted terrace i'd work in the living room doors open would walk out every morning and I was so happy mm-hmm. and it was, I don't know. It was very much like, I didn't know what was happening. Didn't know where my paycheck was coming from, but I also just didn't care. Yeah. Kind of like had enough saved that to get me through like, I don't know, a month of just like living without any more money coming in, but things just ticked along really slowly at the start, but then also quite surely And then I was like just doing that for like five weeks. And then big day, I ended up calling me back and being like, come help us, please. And then I ended up, they were like one of my first clients was the biggest festival in the country at the time. Mm. So that was a really good starting point for everything being like a really good, like one of the first clients to have being something of that scale. But then also the context I made in that time of big day out has helped so much because they were the first people to start giving me work afterwards. Right. Which obviously changed everything because yeah. if I had just, if I just started it straight after shock, I would not, I would be in a completely different position, but mm. being in Sydney, having worked <clears> on <throat> such a massive thing, everything kind of kept building from there. So yeah. Yeah. And what's, what, what sparked then the move to come back here? Ah, oh, Sydney, man. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fucking hell. I was crossing. Okay, you know what? The straw that broke the camel's back. I can deal with the high rental prices. I can deal with no one wanting to make friends. I was crossing fucking Redfern Street near where, like, my, the beautiful home I lived in in Redfern, and I had a green pedestrian light. And I walked out onto the street, and the car that was turning kept honking at me to cross the street faster. And I was like, what is five seconds on your life? Like, I just. And the streets aren't even that wide. There's not I feel, like, oh I my feel God. like that is the perfect summation. Yes. Of like, Everyone's if I could, just so angry. Yeah, if I could describe Sydney, 
it would only be describing like road rage incidents. Yeah, honking <laughs> at pedestrians when they have right of way. That's exactly yeah. what it was. And I don't know, I just kind of was like I've been there for I'd been there for 3 years and I was just like that's enough's enough. Yeah. And I think because I'd started my business there and I have a girl Bianca who works with me. I have a girl have Bianca. A girl. I have a Bianca. Um <laughs> and she works with me full time and we have an office there. We have another girl, um, Madison, who works with us two days a week. So having them there, I had obviously have hold like a massive responsibility for them and making sure they're in a good working environment. But then after a while, I was like, it's just making me miserable. Yeah. And I'd been, I'd actually gone to Europe for two months last year and reconnected with like my whole dad's side of the family yeah. who I hadn't seen since I was eight years old. And I was like, I very much came out of that being like, I feel like I'm truly starting to settle into who I am as a human adult person. Sure. And then I kind of got back to Sydney. I was like, this is not for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but it was cool though. Like once I kind of had in my mind that I wanted to move, all this stuff kept happening to like bring me back to Melbourne. You know what I mean? Like I started working with more people in Melbourne, met my partner who's from Melbourne, like all this family stuff was happening. So I'd keep coming back home and it's like, was a really, it was like definitely the right time. Yeah. For me to go. And so how do you find it now then managing the, you know, your business over two places then? Not without its challenges, Mm -hmm. but I think it's quite good because I, like I talked to them, I talked to both the girls every day. Bianca's like a really, she's so amazing at her job. She's like a really good, like she's independent in her, like like she works best when she's just like, here's what you got to do. And she just like left her own devices and she just like smashes it. And then Madison, we have a lot more contact. She's only in a couple of days, which is like quite easy to manage. Yeah. And then I feel more comfortable. And I'm actually, I've done more work in Melbourne in the last three months than I feel like I did the last six months I was in Sydney. Yeah, wow. Well. Just actually being excited <laughs> and happy and in a good place physically where I'm working from and mm-hmm. just feeling more comfortable has changed so much. Yeah. And I'm actually like really, 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 really loving it. You know what I mean? Like I feel really like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So, and have you found that like coming back here has afforded different opportunities? For yeah. The business oh well? my God. So many. Yeah. So many. I had the slightest bit of anxiety before I left, which I spoke to Bianca about. And I was basically like, my anxiety is that if I leave Sydney, that no one's going to give us work anymore because we're not in Sydney. Sure. Then I said, if that happens, I know you're going to get a job. I know I'm going to get a job. We'll be fine. Again, what's the worst that could happen? Hmm. I'm not, I don't owe money to like anybody. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it just is what it is. Um, But, you know, being down here has been so great. Like we've worked on, we've worked on a lot of great stuff, obviously in Sydney, but here, just like even like today we announced the Twilight at Taronga and Melbourne Zoo Twilight's lineups and they have gotten picked up everywhere yeah, great. and we were meant to work on Melbourne last year. We were, no, we weren't meant to, we were like pitched in to do it, but they said no to us because I wasn't in Melbourne. And so now being in Melbourne, now we can work on both cities Yeah, and right. it's the first time in their history they've ever had one publicist do both. Wow. And they've been going great. for like 20 years or something yeah. crazy. Um, what else? Been working with the NBL and Mitchell and Ness, mm-hmm. which is really insane. And that came about because we're in Melbourne. It's a Melbourne-based event. Yeah. And of Melbourne-based brands as well. 
there's just there's so much more happening here like yeah having been here for three months and just being plugged into like not even plugged into but just around people all the time and everyone's doing so much different stuff mm. and they're doing it all because they love it and they constantly out meeting more people and learning more about what everyone does and whereas in sydney it's very much like this is what i do and that's all that i do yeah don't get me wrong there are definitely people like like that in, yeah, sure. in sydney as well but there's people like that it's, everywhere well there yeah. but it's just harder to find there yeah whereas a lot of i don't know a lot of my interactions with people in sydney would be like i work at a major label why what do you do yeah right you know what i mean so it's kind of yeah. like they're very defined by their roles in mm-hmm. massive companies whereas here people are defined as themselves doing their thing like yeah. and they just do multiple things and that are often complementary but sometimes not yeah yeah it's very interesting yeah it's very cool i bet um so is there anything like awesome coming up for you things that you're excited about doing things that are changing for you at all hmm obviously there's some things you can't talk about <laughs> there's like i don't know i think what we what we're doing at the moment i feel really good about both in the events and the bands they're working with too. Mm-hmm. I've kind of realized that I just want to take on less stuff and have <clears throat> that for longer. Sure. Because there was a period at the start of the year, we were kind of like working on so many campaigns and just turning stuff over all the time. And like we, we, we gave the same amount of, of our attention to everything, but I just like sitting with stuff for longer. Yeah. Um, so the zoo stuff I'm really excited about. And we're working with like Camp Cope and stuff at the moment who are just like killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so excited about that. And then also just the other MISC things that like the Michelin Ness and NBL stuff. We'll be working with Lazy Oaf soon who are this like really amazing streetwear brand from London. And we're working with a beauty brand called Neighborhood Botanicals and doing all this like really just like this, doing stuff that isn't music. Yeah. But that obviously it's like a publicity is like a transcending thing. So you have so many transferable skills yeah, for sure. that work across any industry. So it's like nice to work in new, across new industries and learn about the way that they work rather than just being like, hello person, please premiere this video. Oh, yeah. an album review. Amazing. And it is amazing, but it's like, it's nice that after doing this for eight years that I can still find enjoyment learning new things. Yeah. How can I take what I've learned from this and apply it to this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mostly it. Just like kind of going with it at the moment. That's fine. Yeah. So stoked. (laughs) Just good. Um, Is there anything you would like to promote or talk about? What's the name of your company? Oh, it's called Super Duper. Yeah. I know what it's called. (laughs) With only use and no P's. Someone yeah. called a Zooper Duper the other day. Mikey Carhill uh, called me Super Pooper in an email, and it was the best thing that's ever <laughs> happened. He's like, thanks, Super Pooper. I was like, I'm printing that out and putting it on the wall. <laughs> good one. Cool. So that was good. Well, yeah. thank you for coming and talking thank to me. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>